Well, good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to look into your word, and to be in fellowship and communion with you, the living God. I thank you so much, Father, for the salvation that we share together. And I pray, Lord, that you administer to us through your word in a way that enables us to learn, to be encouraged, and to grow. And so now, Father, I pray and ask your blessing upon these, your people, and on me, Lord, that you would give me wisdom of what to share. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, um, the one thing we have to remember is that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture makes that very clear. And Jesus and his Holy Spirit will not dwell in an unclean place. And so consequently, it's important for us to be clean. Now, we can't make ourselves clean. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We have to allow the Lord to do it. And because we are in the flesh, we have to be cleansed over and over again. For instance, um, how many of you wished you only had to clean your house once in your life? But it has to be something that you continually do because even though you clean it all up, then, you know, the world, dust, and so forth comes in. So the same thing is true. We always have to be before the Lord saying, Lord, here I am. Cleanse me, a vessel. I'm yours, Lord. Use me. And so as we look into this portion of Scripture, we're going to be looking at lepers and, and oozing sores and so forth that people have to be taken out of the out of the camp in order to protect the rest of the body. And we have to realize that so much of what we read in the Old Testament is an illustration of what would come through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we have physical examples of a spiritual reality. And that's what we're seeing here. So when you read these portions of Scripture, these kinds of verses where it seems like, well, what's going on? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Remember, the Lord is teaching us a lesson through it. And so our faith is all about having the presence of God in our heart and in our life. You know, we have to understand the spiritual realm is real. When I was working on the message, it made me go back many years. And uh, when I was a much younger man, when I first uh, got saved, and we lived in Elmira, New York, and I was uh, part of the Gold, Tree, uh, Gold Key Ministry, and what we would do is we would go into prisons and do Bible studies with, with inmates. And uh, Elmira uh, Prison is a maximum security prison, and it's usually for younger men. And uh, the fellow that I was assigned to was a young, uh, young man, very large young man, who was in prison for murder. He actually beat someone to death. And uh, I can remember, in fact, it was very interesting because we went right back into prison and we were one-on-one -on -one in private rooms together. And I remember talking to him and he was sharing with me. He said, I don't know what it is. He said, usually I'm pretty good nature, natured. And he said, something would come over me and I would just get so angry and just lose my temper. And that's what happened in this, this particular incident. And so I had a chance to share with him that there is a spiritual reality and so we have to understand, even though we have physical bodies, just like we're influenced by our environment, there are spiritual influences that we deal with as well. And I shared with him that you need to have Jesus Christ in your life. And he's the only one that can give you freedom over this that comes upon you. 
And just to make a long story short, you know, he got saved and, and uh, he accepted Christ. And I had a chance to do a Bible study with him for quite some time. And then we moved off to Syracuse and I kind of lost touch with him. This is, I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago. Uh, but it's just a point that I'm trying to make that there's a spiritual reality that we have to understand. That it's not just physical. I wish it was. I wish you could just take a pill for everything. You know what I'm saying? But we can't. There has to be changes that take place in our heart and in our, le- in our life. So we're in Numbers chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 1 through 4 first. Numbers chapter 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put both male and female. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp that they may not be, uh, they may, I'm sorry, they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. So we have to understand that like with sin, you know, there are many different kinds of leprosy. Leprosy is actually a common term for a number of diseases, but the kind of leprosy that was talked about in the Old Testament we find was was brutal. I mean, it caused great disfigurement and eventually death, and it was very contagious. And so the idea was if you had someone with leprosy, you put them outside the camp so that they wouldn't contaminate others. That was the purpose and reason for it. And so we have to realize, to us, it's an analogous of sin. And also, the discharge from others and the contact, being in contact with the corpse could also cause disease to be transmitted. And that was the whole concept behind this. That the Lord was relating it to sin and the reality that when you had some kind of a contagious disease, it needed to be removed so that the people might be free. And we do that today. You know, if we have some kind of an outbreak anywhere in the world, we try to contain it in that one spot so that it won't transmit through the rest of the world. And that's, of course, the example that's being used here. And, um, and to me, it's so obvious that this relates to sin. And uh, you and I, you know, we have times that we've been infected with sin. And sometimes we're around others that are infected with sin. And... Um, so often they can carry this discharge or the overflow of the results of sin and also spread it to others. And those that become so dead in their sin, like a corpse, that they don't even realize that they're doing wrong, and they can also transmit that to others as well. And so even though it seems cruel, in a sense, to send these people outside the camp, we have to realize it was for the protection of the whole body. And one of the things we want to remember as well is that there was cleansing. There was healing from leprosy and from these different diseases that caused people to be taken outside the camp. In other words, to be quarantined. And so God was doing that out of love for the rest of the body. And, um, you know, because those that are caught up in sin, whether they desire to or not, in some ways, they can encourage others to participate in their sin. 
You know why sometimes people who are caught up in sin kind of encourage others to do the same? It makes them feel better about their sin. You know, if I'm sinning and I'm feeling guilty about it, if I can convince other people if they do the same thing, then I don't feel quite as bad. And, of course, that's a very wrong attitude to take. You know, it would be kind of like saying, well, you know, I have the flu. You might as well have it too. In fact, it was, it was funny. Um, I was at, in Wegmans uh, in line to get a prescription at the pharmacy, and this young woman, you know, probably in her later 20s was behind me, and she was just kind of, you know, leaning against one of the, um, you know, the racks there. And, and I, being me, being an old guy and a pastor, I, I just said to her, I said, you okay, honey? She said, no. She said, I'm not. She says, I, I, I've been dealing with the flu. I've got a raging fever. I'm in here to pick up antibiotics. And, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, good. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're here to get antibiotics, but... Why are you standing by me? But anyway, <laughs> the, the point I'm getting at, you understand the point I'm getting at is, is that people who have some kind of an infectious disease can transmit it. And we do what we can to avoid it, right? If you're around someone who is sick, you try to stay, stay a little bit away from them. And sometimes you're in a situation where you have people that are coughing and sneezing and so forth, and you kind of back away from them. Well, that's what we need to understand with sin. Sin is infectious, and we need to take time and be willing to back away from it. And if we are caught up in sin, we need to be looking for healing, not looking to justify our sin and convince others that it's okay to do the same thing. We need to be looking for healing. You know, when you're sick, sometimes if you're just a little sick, you know, you just go and get your own remedies. But when you're really sick, you go to the doctor. Why? Because you want to be healed. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is called the great physician? And when we find ourselves sick with sin, we need to go to Jesus, the great physician, so that we can find forgiveness and healing from our sin. You know, um, it's better to deal with sin in the midst of the camp than deal with an epidemic, right? Right? And that's what this is talking about here. It's using leprosy as an example of sin. And so we have to make sure that we're willing to deal with it. Whether it's in our own life or it's in our family. You know, if you have a family member who is caught up in any kind of sin that's destructive or you know, is not beneficial to them, you want to help them overcome that, that sin that they're dealing with, that area of their life that is pulling them down. Why? Is it because you hate them? Is it because you want to be mean to them? It's because you love them. When you love someone, you want them to be well. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's making the point, I want my people to be well. And so in casting those that are sick outside the camp, kind of quarantining them, it allows the rest of the body to remain healthy while he treats them. Because as I mentioned, many of these people were healed and allowed to be brought into the camp. In fact, as we go on, we're going to find there are certain regulations of where the priests would inspect the person. By the way, the priests of that day were also the physicians of that day. But they would have certain examinations that they would do of a person who was, for instance, healed of leprosy. And if they determined that they were, then they were brought back into the camp. And so that's God's desire. Protect the healthy and heal the sick. 
You follow what I'm saying? That they might be brought back into the camp as well. Now, in, um, now you have to understand that when I'm talking about um, dealing and removing sin from our life, it's a love that God is, is actually pouring out on us to teach us this application. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, in other words, to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is making it clear that when we have a problem, we need to deal with it, not make excuses for it, and encourage others to do the same. You know, people who have a drinking problem, they want other people to drink. People who are dealing with drug abuse, they want other people to do drugs. Well, why? Makes them feel better about themselves. See how selfish it is? But that's the reason. And that's why this portion of Matthew is telling us here, if someone has some sin area that they have fallen to, and they teach others to do the same, they'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But that portion goes on and tells us that if we correct those, then we're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if we bring the cure, the Holy Spirit and the power of God to heal people of these kinds of problems. And um, casting the unclean out of the camp, we have to understand, was never done by God in anger. Like, get them out of here. It was take them and separate them out that the body might be healed and well. You know, a few years ago, and some of you know this, I had a, uh, a mild form of skin cancer and squamous cell carcinoma. And uh, I had a choice of having kind of a hunk of my arm cut out or let it spread to the rest of my healthy tissue, my body. I chose to have it cut out. And I'm glad I did because I'm well. You know, I don't have any problems. It's gone. And we have to realize it's the same with sin in our heart. There's only one who can remove sin from our heart, and that's God. Because sin is, is, is uh, something that is spiritual. It's not something physical and tangible that you can touch. And so only God is able to work in our heart, our cardiac, our inner man in that area, in that way. Now, we have to keep in mind that the Lord's greatest desire is to have fellowship with us. And even when we're caught in unrighteousness, the Lord still wants to have fellowship with us because he can take our unrighteousness and cleanse it. Because unrighteousness, sin and, and, and you know, the holiness of God cannot combine together, just like oil and water. Now, in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn to that quickly, keep your finger here in Numbers, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and go to ver uh, verse 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, go to verse 14. And it's talking about, it starts off by saying, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, understand that at that time, you had oxen that were hooked to a double yoke, either for plowing fields, sometimes for pulling carts and so forth. And when it talks about being unequally yoked, if you had one oxen that didn't want to do anything and the other oxen that wanted to really pull the cart, it really caused a lot of problems. You know, maybe one oxen wanted to go this way and the other one wanted to go the way he was supposed to. It caused all kinds of problems. So when it's talking about us not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, it's not talking about being friends. 
is talking about coming into that kind of intimate relationship where you're literally yoked together. Now, let's continue. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Listen to this. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? You can't mix light and darkness. Do you understand darkness is the absence of light? And if you light it, it's better to light a candle than curse to darkness, Scripture tells us. You light a little candle, darkness flees. Verse 15. What accord has Christ with, with Bielal? And, and it's talking about Satan. Uh, or what uh, part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So in other words, the Lord is telling us, if we find ourselves in a situation where we're around uncleanness, where we're around sin, we need to remove ourselves from it. Now understand, it's not talking about removing ourselves from the opportunity to minister to others. I don't have a problem being around someone who's caught up in sin if my purpose of being there is to bring the salvation of Jesus Christ, to bring victory, to bring healing. That's okay. But I don't want to be around people that are caught up in all kinds of uncleanness to be part of it with them or to be drawn into it. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where things are going on that you feel very uncomfortable with, but you don't say anything? Well, that's not what we should do. If the Lord has put us in a situation where we're around people or, or a group and things that are going on that, that are just making us feel uncomfortable, we should either say something about it or leave. And sometimes our leaving can say something about it. Because we can't allow people to think that we're in agreement with that which is unrighteous. It's so important for us to understand that. And his cleansing power is not only instant, but it is free. And we have to realize that under the dispensation of grace, there is no need for anyone to remain unclean. In the Gospel of John Chapter 15, verse 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So, as believers, as Christians, there's never any need for us to remain stained with sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is not only able to save us from sin and death at our initial salvation, but is able to continually cleanse us. And so we need to be willing to always to go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And one of the things that's interesting is God always forgives. He doesn't say, well, maybe this time, but next time, I don't know. God always forgives. How many of us have fallen to the same sin over and over and over again? <clears throat> I always think of an example. Is when I, it's interesting. Um, I went all through the Army, never smoked. And uh, I started college, and I started smoking. <laughs> And that was back in the day. It was a long time ago. And uh, the reality is I, I really, you know, got into smoking. And uh, not for a long time, maybe for about six years I smoked. And in fact, it's funny, when I first started teaching at Horseheads High School, and um, 
you went in the faculty room. When you opened the door, it was like blue with smoke. You wouldn't have that today, would you? But it was like all the guys. And, and, and I say guys because, believe it or not, back then the faculty rooms were segregated. You had men's faculty rooms and women's faculty rooms. And the idea, why would you be in the faculty room with women? Or why would women want to be in the faculty room with men? Oh, gee. But anyway, you'd walk in and you had this blue smoke. Now, the thing is that's interesting is I was a science teacher, and then we used to have a whole chapter on, you know, the harm of tobacco. I knew all the harm of tobacco. I knew exactly how, you know, the tar can affect the violence and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and it's very dangerous. I knew how bad it was, but I still smoked. It wasn't until I came to the Lord and got saved that I realized I shouldn't be smoking because it's harming my body, and I need to keep my body as healthy as it possibly can be in order to serve the Lord. It's just like when I was in the Army. They wanted you to be healthy so you can serve. Well, we're in the Army of God. I want it to be healthy. And I'm going around in this big circle to make this point. I used to tell people when I finally decided to quit smoking, I used to tell people, it is so easy to quit smoking because I quit every Monday. You get my point. In other words, I quit... (laughs) And then I'd go a few days and I'd be back into it. I'd quit, I'd go a few days and I'd get... And there was one time, and I still remember, there was one time I said, you know what, I'm done. And I never smoked again. Never smoked again. I mean, it's, it's been 40 years since I've smoked, or more. Never smoked again. And we have to realize that we are human and we carry this great treasure that God has given us in earthen vessels, vessels of clay. In other words, vessels that are weak. And so there might be areas of your life that you're dealing with, and you deal with it over and over and over. Don't give up, because one day you'll have the victory. And there are certain things that we probably deal with and will deal with the rest of our lives. How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because either you'd be embarrassed or you'd be lying. So anyway, the point I'm getting at, how many of us can get uh, attitudes towards people? I'm not, don't raise your hand. (laughs) But we do, right? And we're probably going to deal with that the rest of our life. That's just one little example. And we might have become sophisticated and polished enough that someone does something that makes us angry or upset, and we're just kind of like, yes, yeah, it's okay. And in our heart, was like, I'd like to choke you to death. You know? So we have to understand that there are things that we're going to deal with the rest of our lives, but there are many things that we can have complete victory over. And it's a blessing to see God work in our lives that way. And so we have to realize that we're not going to have perfection in this life, but there has to be a desire to move away from sin. And um, we can't profess to be walking with the Lord and living a life of conscious, continuous sin. Okay? I'm talking about when you know what you're doing and you just keep doing it and you don't care. And we find this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance to race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, sometimes I wonder if we really know who we serve, if we really understand how, understand how loving God is. God created us to be in fellowship with him. And if you go back to Genesis and you read the beginning, you know, of Adam and Eve, and they walked in the, in the garden in the cool of the day and had personal fellowship with God, and it was sin that separated them. God's desire is, has always been to have fellowship with us, but sin separates us from the love of God. And so consequently, God, in his love, because he could not bear to keep this separation between he and his special creation, he sent his son into the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. And Jesus Christ came into the world and was born of a woman, was fully man, but his spirit was the spirit of God. He was fully God. And so consequently, he was the only one who was ever able to live in his entire life without ever committing one single sin. Now, what's the purpose of that? That he might be the perfect lamb of God. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, and John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He understood who he was. And we have to understand who we serve, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God so loved us that he sent his son to die on the cross, to die. You know, it says, cursed are those who die on a tree. To die on a cross was a death of shame. And that's what we're reading about here. And Jesus did it out of love for you and I that we might be forgiven all of our sin and transgressions. You know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 15, Here's what Jesus said. If you love me, and it's agapios, it's an unconditional love. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, when two people are married, and I've done so many weddings. In fact, uh, you've heard me share this so many times. When uh, uh, I used to substitute, and I haven't substituted for uh, almost a year and a half because of my heart attack, but... Uh, I, I love substituting. I love being in there with the kids. And one of the things I used to say to the kids, because as far as they knew, I was just a science teacher. You know, they had no idea that I was a pastor. And I used to go to the kids and say, I've got a riddle for you. And I said, I have been married, or I have married many women, but I only have one wife. And they'd be thinking, what? What? And, of course, the answer was, I've done the marriage of many women and men. You know, I don't know how many, over, well over 150 or so. And uh, so we have to realize that we belong to God. We are his. And so even though we are united in, in the flesh to someone in marriage, it doesn't mean there aren't any problems that we deal with. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you who have been married more than a day, uh, have uh, never had a problem in your relationship. Any problems at all. That's not, if you raise your hand, like I said, you're, you're uh, not being true. We deal with problems. And I know you guys look at Vi and I and you think, well, they probably never have any problems. We do. I mean, we've had times in our marriage that there are like these brick walls that come up. You guys know what I mean if you've been married for a while. 
And it's not that we hate each other. It's not that we don't want to be married any longer. But these brick walls come up, you know, these differences of opinion, these problems. And, and, and you feel it's, it's horrible because you come home and you feel that separation. And you can't wait to have that wall broken down. And then finally, both people, both parties humble themselves and they're able to sit down and talk about whatever the problem is. And as they're talking, you can just see that wall, brick by brick, just collapsing. And they're back into relationship with one another. Well, marriage is an example of Christ's relationship with the church. It tells us that in Scripture. I'm not talking about marriage, but Christ's relationship with his church, it says in Scripture. And so we have to realize sometimes there is a wall that comes up between us. The only difference between that wall and the wall between a husband and wife is that Jesus is never wrong. It's always on our part. We're the ones who built the wall brick by brick ourselves. And all we have to do is go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And the wall comes tumbling down, and we're back in communion and relationship with him. And um, one of the greatest hindrances, hindrances we have in being honest with the Lord and ourselves is pride and presumption. We're prideful people. You know, we love to let people know how wonderful we are. And also, we're prideful in the sense of it's always your fault. And we're presumptuous. You know, it's, you should be worried about me. You should be concerned about my feelings. Well, what about being concerned about the other person's feelings? You follow the point I'm making? Those are the causes uh, of sin. And a perfect example of either being led by the flesh or by the spirit is the example of uh, Jericho and Ai. When the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, and remember Moses was up in Mount Nebo, and he saw the promised land, and he died, and it literally says the angels took him and buried him. And I've been up on top of Mount Nebo. You can see the whole promised land. But he wasn't able to go in because we all know about the sin he fell into. So it was Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. And when they first came in, they came against this great walled city called Jericho. And I've seen the, the remains of it. And the wall, the, top, the, the thickness of the wall was probably wider than this uh, sanctuary here. You could have two chariots run together alongside of one another on that wall. It's how thick that wall was. And the interesting thing is, when you go, and you can go online and see pictures of this, the wall didn't fall down. It was pushed down. It was pushed right down. And that's how the children of Israel defeated Jericho. Well, they came out of there with this great victory that the Lord had given them, and they said, oh, I got this little puny town of Ai over here. Let's go and take care of them as well. And they went up against Ai, and the, and the army of Ai drove them out, chased them away, and killed several thousands of their soldiers. And so Joshua went before the Lord, oh, what's going on? The bottom line, in my own vernacular way of expressing it, was this. When they went against Jericho, they were led by the Spirit. When they went against Ai, they were led by the flesh. And if you try to do things by the flesh, you're going to quite often be defeated. But if you walk according to the Spirit, you're going to go, as Scripture says, from victory to victory. Now verses 5 through 10. We're actually almost done, even though I've got these verses to cover. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed, 
he shall make restitution for his trespass in full plus one-fifth of it. In other words, you add one-fifth, whatever it was, and give it to the one he has wronged. But if the man has no relatives to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest. And the rest of this is just talking about how um, if there's no one to make restitution towards whatever your sin might be, then you give it to the Lord by giving it to the priest and to the house of God. And uh, we have a beautiful example of this in the Gospel of Luke. And remember Zacchaeus? We used to sing that song, Little Zacchaeus Crawled Up Into a Tree. And Zacchaeus was actually a tax collector. He was a Jew. He was a child of Abraham, but he was a tax collector. And tax collectors, according to the, to the Jews, were considered traitors because he actually was collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And so they were robbing from their own people. And these tax collectors, what they would do is they keep a little extra, extra for themselves. And so Zacchaeus was hated. But anyway, he heard that Jesus was coming by. And he wanted to see Jesus. And because he was a man of short stature, and don't look at me that way, but because he was a man of short stature, he had to climb up into a tree to see Zacchaeus. And when Jesus is coming by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he saw him up there, and he goes, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having dinner with you. Now, you have to realize, Jews did not eat with sinners. And so for Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect man to go into a house of a sinner and have dinner was unheard of. But he went in to have dinner with Zacchaeus. Why? Because he knew Zacchaeus' heart and that Zacchaeus would repent. In fact, I want you to look at Luke chapter 19 and go to verse 8. Luke chapter 19, go to verse 8. <clears throat> You can always tell I was a teacher because one of the things they taught us is that when you first give an assignment or you first uh, say something to the students, they're like, huh? And the second time you say it, they're getting their pen and their, you know, their little pad out, and then the third time they get it. So I always repeat myself three times. Luke chapter 19 and uh, verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, this is after the Lord brought him down, and he said, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I have taken anything from anyone by false association, accusation, I restore, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has not come to seek and save, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So here you have Zacchaeus. And why is God so gracious to him? Because he confessed, because he admitted. It's one of the hardest things we have a, a, a hard time with. You know, we're like, well, you know, I was really wrong. You know, we have a hard time saying that. But it's a wonderful thing to go to the Lord and say, I was wrong. Lord, I sinned. Please forgive me. Knowing the fact that the Lord would forgive him. Because we, we must realize that if we love the Lord and we want to be in continuous fellowship with him, we have to always be willing to admit our shortcomings. You know, one of the things you've heard me say so many times, and I truly believe it with all my heart, is that we're not only saved by grace. In other words, it's God's grace and mercy that we're saved. It's not because we've done anything. 
to, to earn it. He just gives it to us. It. It's a free gift. We're saved by grace. We're maintained by grace. And one day when we go to be with the Lord, either in death or the rapture, we're going to be glorified by grace. It's all the grace of God. You never come to a place where you deserve it. You know, have you ever heard people say, well, I deserve something good. Well, you got it with God. You know, but you don't deserve anything. You know, if you got what you deserve, guess what? <laughs> wouldn't, be, wouldn't be very well. Wouldn't be very good. And so repentance then is much more than being sorry. Because we have to realize that we will never find peace in our relationship with God until we're willing to admit our wrong, our wrongdoing. You know, sometimes I think that we allow certain sins in our life thinking, well, God understands. Well, if God does understand that your heart is wicked. The heart of man is exceedingly wicked beyond understanding. Who can know it? But we do that. Well, I, I think God kind of realizes this is the problem. Or how many times we've said, well, I do this because of this situation, because they do that. It makes me... No, no, no. It doesn't make any difference what anyone else is doing. What are you doing in your relationship with the Lord? You see what I'm saying? It has to be a willingness to, to have peace in our own heart by confessing to the Lord. And many people think repentance is just shedding a few tears. But true repentance changes our heart. Because we have to understand there has to be a change in our desire either for the Lord or for sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, how many people are sorry for the consequences of what they did? Oh, I'm so sorry. I wish I would have never done that. Well, why? Because you're sorry for the consequences of your sin. But you don't recognize your sin. You're not willing to deal with your sin. It's like the husband or wife who goes up to their spouse and says, I promise I'll never do that again. I really promise. Why are they saying that? Because they're really frightened with the problems that it's causing and the separation and the gap is putting between them. They're not really sorry for what they've done wrong, they're sorry for the consequences. We need to be able to approach, for instance, a spouse, friends, but especially, especially the Lord and say, I'm sorry because I'm a sinner, because what I did was wrong, and I offended you. Please forgive me. With God's help, I'm going to have victory. That's true repentance, not just shedding a few tears, not being sorry for the consequences. You know, when I was in the prison ministry, we used to call it jailhouse conversion. And the reason was is that we would talk to men in the prison, do Bible studies with them, and they'd want to accept Christ because they thought somehow it would put them in better favor when they went for parole and this and that. But because they were sorry for the consequences of their sin. I'm in prison because of what I did. I'm sorry for that. And so the, but the ones who really had a change of life, and came out of prison, and there are a number of them, and served the Lord faithfully, 
were those who weren't just sorry for their consequences. They were sorry because of their sin. They were sorry because of their attitude and, and whatever else it was that led to them breaking the law. We've all broken the law of God. Every one of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we have to understand, we have to get beyond being sorry for the consequences. How many people, I don't want to go to hell. Well, I don't know too many people who do. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to go to hell. You know, not too many people want to go to hell. But the reality is, we should be saying, God, I'm so sorry I offended you. I'm so sorry I'm out of relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship, relationship with you. Forgive me, a sinner. You know, what's your pastor's favorite verse? 1 John 1, 9. If, conditional conjunction. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say if we confess our you know, heartache for the consequences of our sin. It says if we confess our sin. So we have to understand portions of Scripture like this are so important to us. Maybe we have leprosy. Maybe we have some kind of a discharge. Maybe we're carrying around the deadness of our, of our past lives. Whatever it might be, we need to run to Jesus. Say, Lord, take care of me. I can't do it, but I know you can. Forgive me. And he will. You don't want to walk around with unchecked leprosy. You want to make sure you take it to the great physician and have it cut out. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your love, how thankful we are for your grace and mercy, and for the unconditional forgiveness that you have given us. Lord, we love you so much, and I pray that we would express that love by getting rid of leprosy in our own camp and also be willing to help others to do the same. Help us to be your servants, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.